up, Internet? Theoretically, our energies can meet again after a million years. My name is Matthew Kroll. And maybe you're a potato. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film about endlessness. A.K.A. Pandemic the Movie. AKA sequel to that pigeon one that's our third episode. It's actually not the sequel to the pigeon one. It's a new it's a start of a new body of work. That I'm was saying that this was a podcast. Third I'm saying trilogy. this podcast is the sequel to the last podcast that was our third podcast. Does that mean that every Marvel movie is a sequel in the podcast universe? Sure. Right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Every Mission Impossible movie, every Jurassic Park, every Star Wars is a sequel. That's how it works. Anytime we do a director again, that's a sequel to the previous time Let's we've done go. that. Let's go. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> okay. No, I, I, I'm saying I'm saying it again. It's not the movie itself is a sequel. I'm saying we're sort of revisiting a thing. We're going back to the well. <laughs> we're doing the stuff again, and I'm happy to do it. Uh, uh, it has similar, similar undertones to why sequels exist. <laughs> we're talking about a similar piece of work. So this, uh, if uh, you haven't been following our podcast from day one, For the last I, six don't know, years. I don't know what you've been doing with your life. Uh, we on, if, this was funny because I wouldn't actually listen to this episode oh, and no. it's, it's weird listening to us from six years ago talking about <laughs> movies and what's weird and weird and weird and weird about that episode is we're talking about this in the, we're already talking about a pigeon sat on the branch uh, reflecting on existence, the last Roy Anderson film, in a sort of continuum of movies that you and I have discussed, which is something that we do, like, we, for, you know, all the time now. We talk about, like, you know, oh, we talked about this on that episode, we talked about yeah, this on episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The irony is that is the third episode we'd done. The yeah. first movie we'd done was Mad Max. The uh-huh. second movie we'd done was Kung Fury, the short film. So our spectrum of movies upon which to place <laughs> a pigeon sat on a branch reflecting upon existence was very small. And we were talking about it on that episode as though we had you know, been discussing movies for years at that point. I mean, we had, just we not had. with each other. And not on a podcast phone, but it's just, it's weird if you go back and listen to our third episode and it sounds like we are sitting up or have, have been talking about movies for forever and that we have like this huge body of work behind us and it's literally episode three. Hey, we're just good at selling it, baby. <laughs> um, yes, I was very excited this week because Roy Anderson has a new film. This Technically, this film came out in 2019, but was pushed for VOD release uh, just recently. Um, so I was very excited to see that and to revisit that conversation that we began all so long ago uh, about the nature of existence and endlessness, I guess. Um, sure. The uh, the I, I also noticed in that episode that the the if the first movie that we did was Mad Max Fury Road, which we were both aligned upon. And Kung Fury, I think we were also both aligned upon. A pigeon sat on a branch reflecting upon existence is evidence of the beginning of the divergence of our of our approaches to film, or evidence of our diverting opinions about how films operate or what we look for in films okay. was that episode. I feel like though I I I I look back on that film positively. Did oh, I not in the episode? No, no. You look at, you you look at the film positively, but I think we what we what we have come to discuss in terms of what we want from films ah. and how we look upon films differently became evident in that episode. 
I see. Well, I yeah, see. I, I think you and I knew that already, but it, just from a listening point of view, I mean, I I, uh, I have not listened to the Mad Max Fury Road episode in a long time, and I have not listened to the Kung Fury episode. Um, but I'm, but I felt like I was like, oh, this must be the point at which we started realizing we like different things. Ah, well, <laughs> I mean, I think we, yeah, I, sure. I, I think on a, on a public scale, that's a hundred percent true. Right. Um. No, this one, uh, I was very excited when you suggested it. Uh, again, I was a fan of Pigeon. Uh, I, 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 I don't know. That, that movie is one of those experiences that has kind of stuck with me, mm-hmm. um, just from, from a movie-going perspective. And then to sort of have this one now, um, I don't know. It, it felt good to sort of – and I think that's maybe why I even leaned on the sequel terminology. It, like, it felt good to revisit this style. <laughs> Um, cause it is, it, I, I would argue that it's presented in a similar style. Um, entirely. I mean, uh, Roy Anderson movies are entirely identifiable, uh, probably from a single, um, image of the film yeah. you would be able to identify. Um, do you recall much of a pigeon sat on a branch reflecting on existence? The movie itself? Uh, yes and no. I like, I, I, I remember a few scenes of the vignettes, mainly the, the machine, mm-hmm. the yes, big-ass oh. machine, like two-thirds through the film. <laughs> the torture music machine. Yeah, the torture music machine. That sticks with me. Um, other than that, not really. I remember a few scenes in restaurants, like just that they were in restaurants. There was a, <laughs> there was a scene uh, with the horses coming through the, coming the building. Through the, yep, yep, yep. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I look back on, uh, a pigeon sat on a branch reflecting upon existence or I, I always butcher the name. <laughs> but it's uh, just, a, it's a, it's a certainly a, a, a memorable title. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or, or memorable enough. Yeah. Reflecting on it. I got it right. I got yeah, it right. Yeah. And it was also, um, I think the, it's the, also the only episode in which we interviewed people outside of the movie theater and asked for their opinions and played them on the episode. Yeah. Uh, oh, was, oh, we were young. Yeah. Yeah. The only episode in which I took a recorder to, uh, to the movie theater and then pulled it out and, and talked to people outside the movie theater. No. Uh, we should do that again sometime, but maybe not in the pandemic. I'm obviously. sure everyone's going to want a microphone in their face <laughs> yeah. in the coming months. Yeah. I don't know if I carry that, uh, that much sanitizer. But Roy Anderson is a filmmaker, uh, as I discussed in the um, Pigeon Sat Under Brides Reflecting Upon Existence episode, uh, a filmmaker whose film Songs from the Second Floor was one I stumbled into not knowing anything about him or his work or uh, uh, any of his style of filmmaking um, and left completely transformed as a human being because I felt like I'd seen something I hadn't quite experienced before. Um Although uh, it's interesting to note on the history of Roy Anderson, a Swedish filmmaker, um, uh, he was a somewhat uh, a fairly successful filmmaker early in his career. In 1970, he made an incredibly popular movie called A Swedish Love Story, uh, which was followed by a not so successful film called Gilap, which I cannot pronounce, um, which was uh, ultimately in his eyes a flop. And so that was the year 1975. And it wasn't until the year 2000 that he made another film in those intervening 25 years between 1975 and 2000 Roy Anderson became a commercial director and made a fortune and um, basically made some of the most important commercials uh, in Swedish television history um, and and also in the in the world of filmmaking in the world of commercials uh, his his work is still uh, notable there but he made a fortune-making commercials, and it wasn't until the year 2000 that he decided to re-enter the um, feature film game with uh, Songs from the Second Floor, with a style that he developed over his commercial filmmaking uh, career. And uh, he has a, his own studio called Studio 24, uh, which um, basically 
he self-funds to live and work out of uh, building the sets, these elaborate sets for these films. If anyone hasn't seen Roy Anderson films before, Matt, how would you describe his films to an unsuspecting listener who has no idea what it is we're talking about? Uh, it's like you get a level-eye view of a diorama piece uh, based on a slice of life that's highly uh, that's slightly elevated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, because that's what it is. Like the camera's locked, it does not move. You are in the scene. It is longer than you think you are comfortable with. But by the end of each vignette, you could watch it longer than you thought you would. Mm-hmm. Like you're what I. And it happens every time, even in this movie and in Pigeon. And I still need to see um, songs from the second floor. Um, but like, I'm always like in the beginning, I'm always like, okay, this is going on too long. Huh. Okay. And then like by the middle, I'm like, oh, interesting. Cool. Cool. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And then by the end, I'm like, well, what's going to, what's going to happen? Uh, <laughs> okay. Oh, that's not the end though. Okay. Good. Like I get, I, I every, everyone like pacing wise feels that way to me. Right. Um, and it's such an interesting ride to be taken on over and over and over again. How would you like, describe the feeling that you like? Like, what do you feel other than just what you see in when you're watching one of his movies? You've seen two of them now. What do you mean? Like, just like how do they make you feel? Uh, to be well, I, I can. I'm only going to speak for this film particularly because I was just sort of. I, I remember Pigeon. I was very just sort of entranced. It was the first kind of ver- movie like this I'd seen. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't know. Huh. It's a really interesting question. Weirdly enough, because I don't. Maybe I'm just a robot, but like nothing terribly profound or deep. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested in the moment. I am. I think. I feel like I am. I feel like he treats, this is not a derogatory way, he treats the audience like a voyeur all the time, mm-hmm. in a way. Uh, this one had a bit of a, of a, I guess, less harsh tone in that regard, because you have the, the narration of the woman being like, I saw a man, I saw a woman, I saw a couple, mm-hmm. sort of giving a little bit of stuff, so it's almost like they're not looking or acting directly at you when they spike the camera, Yeah, though they kind of are. Um but, it's weird. I feel like Pigeon, I was like, oh, I feel like I remember being uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but interested. Yeah. I guess that's, I basically imagine what being a voyeur is like, <laughs> right? Uh, this one, uh, I didn't have any strong, strong emotional ties. I think the only thing I felt um, was kind of, I mean, sadness in the sad moment, sure, that's not really uh, crazy. I think... There is a slight sense, especially especially at the end. I don't want to spoil what you know what it is yet, but there is a sense of thematic wonderment, meaning like, oh, wow, I get it. I get what you're going for, or at least I have a. I I don't know if I get what he's going for, but I get. I have a theory that I jive with based on my life, what is being sort of shown to me, and why, which I'll sort of get into as we go through this. Okay, uh, Pigeon. I felt like, or let me rephrase. I don't remember that. Mm-hmm. Maybe in the episode I did have a thing when it was fresher in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but here I was like, got it. 
got the message. At least I got a message that I think he was trying to get across. I think, that, uh, but there is a there is a um, a broad scope of what the films are trying to do in terms of that. There is no narrative. It's a series of vignettes. Um, sometimes they are connected. Some characters will reoccur. Some plot lines will kind of. Um, continue between vignettes but most of the time they do not Um, so we are kind of invited to interpret however we feel like right like there's no I mean there is some there there, as you say there's a thematic um, there's certainly an aesthetic connection between all the moments um, but thematically sometimes they wildly differ in terms of uh, being both jovial depressing absurd in this case uh, sometimes horrifying which is a, there's a scene in this one which I'd never seen him do before uh-huh. um, so there's a sense of like you take from it what you will kind of like looking at a painting right there's no guiding light in terms of giving an exact definition of how you can interpret this, but there is a sense that you can interpret it one of many ways, but you're invited to kind of interpret however you feel. I would say the vignettes sort of are that. Mm. I will say, I don't think these films are like paintings. I think they're like galleries. Mm. Like, they're curated in a way to get you to a point. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not necessarily saying each one of these scenes is supposed to be read a specific way. I do not believe that. I do think, though, that they are all ingredients, much like when you're putting together an art gallery. Like, you want to get the viewer of the art or the experiencer of the art to an emotional place or a through line. I think a good curated gallery does that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this film and his films do do that as well. Um, It's funny because like a pigeon doesn't really ruin that so much in the title. Mm -hmm. And, and, and maybe the title helped me sort of get to, you know, uh, about endlessness Mm -hmm. sort of helped me get to the place that I got to. Right. Um, but so I guess I mean, Shahir, do you does does my feeling slash non feeling vibe sort of go with what you experienced, or was there sort of different like differing uh, emotional resonances and tones? Uh, certainly, I think I will experience it differently to the way you you will experience it. Um, and I think for me, there's a certain pleasure in just watch just observing the kind of construction of it all and and the sort of moment to moment absurdity of 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 things happening i also find uh anderson's brand of comedy pretty funny and right. and and it works for me and i kind of think i i describe it as a the most deadpan version of Monty Python you can get, yeah. um, which is, you know, Monty Python by the way of Ingmar Bergman or something like that. It's very, there are moments that are uh, Chaplin-esque in their execution, um, but, but they're, slow. but they're, but they're also deeply, they're, they're merged with the, the sadness that can only come from the Swedish Isles. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. there's a, there's a sense of, um, of of uh, foreboding darkness even in the comedy uh, and a heavy and a, and a weightedness to the whole thing but as a friend of mine who's who'd spent time in sweden said this feels very swedish um so <laughs> i i uh, and again you know just talking from personal experience i think the reason i 
was so excited when I saw songs from the second floor for the for the first time. By the way, um, there's a trilogy uh, I, that he calls the Living Trilogy, which was songs from the second floor, You the Living, and um, A Pigeon Sat on a Branch Reflecting Upon Existence. Uh, the man is now 78 years old, and he's, he's described about endlessness as a, a new chapter and perhaps his last film um, in his body of work. Maybe maybe not, who knows? Um, yeah. But he, you know, he's sort of said this might be the last one. Um, and um, the, the, I, I would say there's there's an interesting thing you could do, which is that you could take scenes from a pigeon sat on a branch. You could take scenes from you, you could you could basically combine all three of those films and about endlessness and combine them and mix them up in all sorts of ways. Sure. Uh, and you could you could watch them as one continuous sitting or just dip in and out into into uh, a series of vignettes. I think there was a part of me that was excited uh, about the photographic quality of this when I first saw it um, because um, uh, much like uh, Orson Welles' film The Trial where uh, you know like he really leaned into the idea of like an enormous landscape that mm-hmm. had storytelling happening from the front to the back of the the entire frame and in in some cases in Orson Welles's film the you know like the, the very far back of uh, a, of a landscape which stretches on for miles seems to have something happening in it which relates to the story that's happening in the foreground I love that quality to uh, Anderson's films which is that there's a depth to everything that's happening that feels like it could stretch on for miles and again there's a sort of consideration of where everything is in perspective to each other um and you know as i sort of learned that this is entirely um created you know like he is not just filming a location he's actually building a set extending it out with paintings um you know um some really rough green screens but which i thought was probably a choice there's one green screen in this which i think you know he does use green screens from time to time but um it's not uh not something he tends to do um there was one in this which i i did notice but uh well i noticed one or two the 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 one that i think we're both talking about though specifically is the first one of the first one the man coming up the stairs yeah and it was such an odd choice i was like this this had to have been a choice like like based because based on like the complexity of the way the other sets are set up it's not like that one couldn't have been done with the backdrop and a set of stairs like so why then why then do it that way if it wasn't Perhaps he's experimenting with a new technique. I I, I don't know. I did. I yeah. certainly did notice the green screen. At any rate, um, I there there is also an existential aimlessness about all of this, which is both um, beautiful and trivial at the same time. It reveals kind of like the meandering quality of the way our lives sort of become meaningless over time. You know, like it feels like all of these characters are trapped in a sort of purgatory of meaninglessness where nothing that they're going to do affects change in the world or nothing that they nothing that no meaningful change will come about um their existence but at the same time the film kind of has this like topographical view of humanity which i really respond to you know like it's this sort of like god's eye view of people being trivial doing things that are like meaningless but reveals kind of how humanity works 
if that sure. makes any sense. We should maybe preface all of this by saying it's a unique experience. And um, in your case, for a Pigeon, you, you managed to see that in a theater. I saw songs from the second floor uh, in a theater as well. Uh, there is something sort of beautiful about seeing these in a theater um, that may not be replicated um, in uh, the home viewing experience. But I I certainly highly recommend these as an experience because they're unlike most things you will see on film. Yeah. The way that, you you know, you you say that it sort of is like that, the sort of hopelessness and how like, you know, the, how your life, you know, life can lose meaning, et cetera. I've always thought, I think I might've brought this up in Pigeon. I don't quite remember. Um, I really resonate with this kind of, um, I guess storytelling or or presentation of emotional resonance in a space because it really fits into my worldview. Mm-hmm. Like, like we like oh like we're talking about like oh people's lives maybe don't have meaning or they didn't do anything important. Well, the, the interesting thing sort of about that is if you pull back far enough, nothing has any meaning that we can do or that is important. Right. Like like and that's something that is. I know a lot of people don't like that sentiment. I've spoken. My mother in particular does not like talking to me about philosophy or theology or or anything because she finds my outlook uh, disturbing and macabre, mm-hmm. whereas I find the, the, the pure... the pure possible entropy of it all, or at the very least... Uh, the, the our non-ability to affect any kind of actual change to anything, I find that some of the most freeing thoughts that I ever have. Yeah. Well, like because if you pull back far enough, nothing, nothing I do will matter. Hmm. That's not to say that like I we all don't touch each other's lives in different ways or works that we do don't help people or uh, uh, things we do don't hurt people, right? Of course that happens. Hmm. But you pull back far enough and even though it feels like because we are mortal and we feel a certain way because we only have a certain finite amount of time on this earth, but if you can get to that headspace of sort of the logical like, yeah, but like, (laughs) it doesn't matter. I personally find that super freeing. So when... When I um, see uh, his movies, when I see Roy Anderson's films, there is a, there is a sadness, hmm. but also there's a matter of factness. Yeah, and like you get the you get the the emotion that you're trying to get from the scene or the vignette. But I think the fact that it does hang long enough on a lot of these things is sort of the tell of like, yeah, but shit just keeps going. Yeah, like <laughs> and that's a really, I mean. That phrase, yeah, but shit just keeps going, is like I think the closest thing I have to a mantra. Yeah, like so. It's, I it's, don't know. I dig it. <laughs> well, you might dig this quote from Anderson, which I dig up. Uh, I, I found a, an article uh, written by um, uh, who was this? <laughs> Sorry, it was uh, Roy Anderson's Living Trilogy and uh, Jean Luc Nancy's Evidence of Cinema by Bob Hank at York University, and he uh, dug up this quote, which I really liked, which uh, Anderson was describing the sort of approach to how they build the worlds of the films that they make. Mm-hmm. Uh, one describes the world and our existence in their little trivial elements and in that way i hope that one can also get to the big enticing philosophical questions but how life is 
Life is, of course, trivial. We must button buttons. We must zip up zippers. We must eat breakfast. It is exceedingly concrete and trivial, the whole of our existence, even for those who are in positions of power. I like this very much, emphasizing this triviality because it pushes people down to earth to that place where one actually belongs. And um, I, I like that quote from him because I think what he's really suggesting there is that when it comes down to it all, we are all tiny pieces of, oh, we are so, um, I guess maybe this is a, another way to think about it. Like I, t- I tend to think that we are cosmically insignificant. Yeah. Yet why, but what's, what's sort of profoundly beautiful about it is that our lives do have meaning for us. It's just when you look at it from the outside in, it can appear that we are mice traveling on a treadmill, um, you know, going nowhere. And ultimately that still makes us beautiful to look at, but we are, you know, just moving in one spot. Hey, listen, I don't want to, I don't want to quote vision, but, uh, you know, a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts you here. Oh, okay. Is that, Uh, that's from, uh, Age of Ultron, right? That is a very, oh, good on you, buddy. I have not seen, uh, WandaVision, so I can only go on the movies. Oh, there's another good one in there. (laughs) Okay. Uh, But I won't, I won't spoil that for you. Um, Uh, one thing we haven't done is actually described what the synopsis for About Endlessness is. Listen, I got it right now from our friends over at the Internet Movie Database. That's right. We're on a first name basis. We're on all four of their names. Is their first name Internet uh, and their last name Database? Their first name is Internet. Their second name, their middle initials are (laughs) Movie Database. Data and then base <laughs> is their last name. It is all about the base. Yeah, drop it. Uh, about endlessness is as follows based on our good close friends whom we share holidays with every year. Um, with About Endlessness, Roy Anderson adds to his cinematic oeuvre. Ooh, hey, Overbusters, we just dream-dropped your podcast and didn't even think about it. Um, with a reflection on human life in all of its beauty and cruelty, its splendor and banality. So, I think, I think... That maybe I am Debe is also thinking of this as a bit of a sequel because they literally say adds to his cinematic oeuvre yeah. and they name drop him and they say the name of the movie in the thing. There's all uh, <laughs> what I liked about this uh, IMDb synopsis. If you scroll down a little bit further, there's actually a, um, a synopsis that's been provided to you by the distributor, uh, Magnolia Films, which I'll read out here. It's a little bit longer. It doesn't change much of what you've uh, described. Um, but I quite like this. About Endlessness is a reflection on human life in all its beauty and cruelty, its splendor and banality. We wander dreamlike, gently guided by our Shahrazad-esque narrator. Inconsequential moments take on the same significance as historical events. A couple floats over a war-torn cologne. On the way to a birthday party, a father stops to tie his daughter's shoelaces in the pouring rain. Teenagers gir- teenage girls dance outside a cafe. A defeated army marches to a prisoner of war camp. Simultaneously an ode to and a lament uh, about endlessness presents a kaleidoscope of all that is eternally human an infinite story about the vulnerability of existence yeah <laughs> which i mean look if we're going to talk about the movie that's pretty much it uh you should go see it this has been the only podcast about movies uh <laughs> please write us it no no I, I i just like that because it does the the thing about what we're sort of suggesting here is that that there's not a lot to dissect in terms of what the film, how the film works. Sure. All that you, there is to talk about is how you respond to it or how you feel about it, right? Like, I mean, if I'm just going to keep quoting pop culture, <laughs> uh, I'll do it. it. You know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If if uh, nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. Buffy, Angel, but okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Because that, that's what this is. This is. A series of scenes 
designed to make you feel something, not necessarily exactly like because again, seeing a piece of art is different. But then put together, I did I did really like my my gallery analogy uh, because I think that's sort of what these films are. And they um, are um, constructed as a series of paintings in a way. Like, yeah. The, in fact, that he doesn't start with a script. He actually starts with a drawing, and huh. then kind of. Um, oh, I think I remember b- that. Yeah, b- builds that out, and then you know comes up with sort of like little narrative quirk or little moments within that drawing. Sure, that, sure. That, that that will happen over time, and I think that's quite. It's it's quite beautiful to look at. Yeah. I, look, I I am all about this thing, though. I will. Base. I will say yes. <laughs> I will say it, it that that I guess it is kind of like a kaleidoscope or or something that sort of folds in on itself because my I, again I do go into each scene like okay really I, I, I have I have that weird like all right and then like it wins me over every fucking time and I want to spend more time in the scene and then the next one hits and I'm like oh a train station okay <laughs> like it's so strange uh, which is why. Which is why I never feel bad or weird to actually anyone mm. pitching. Well, I never ever have pigeon, and mm. I never will this. Like I feel like I would suggest these films to anyone. Right? W- do I think that they will hold anyone's attention? No. Do I think that they will engage with and hold more people than I would like to give people credit for his attention? A hundred percent. Like. Wait. So are you, you're saying that you you people will it, be surprised by these? By these. yes, yes. I think people that solely watch Fast and the Furious movies uh, <laughs> would actually watch this and be like, "Holy shit!" Like uh, on average, like right. uh, not. Of course, not everyone. We are uh, we are not a monolith yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We're working towards the, uh, yeah, the, the singularity. singularity. <laughs> yeah, the computers will take care of that. I'm yeah. sure the YouTube algorithm has something to say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's interesting. I don't know if I can say that that about something this far off base of like a friend of mine's film preference that I could give. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel comfortable talking to an art film friend, talking to an indie film friend, talking to a major blockbuster friend, and be like, "You might you should watch about endlessness." Right. Like, you're gonna get something out of it. <laughs> it uh, uh, I think there is that revelation that when you watch this. And again, because I don't feel like there are any other filmmakers that are kind of doing what he does. Although, at least on his level. Uh, uh, although I will say, Ari, it appears that Ariasta is a is a huge fan. There's a series of commercials that Ariasta did um, that that look and feel like like Roy Anderson's work and look and feel like Roy Anderson's tableau, uh, in special particular his commercials. I think the easy uh, other easy gateway is to watch his commercials because his commercials are structured in the same way right. and usually are like anchored around like a quicker punchline, uh, which some of these vignettes are often anchored around like a quick punchline. Um, you know, like um, there's one in Songs from the Second Floor where uh, a magician is performing, you know, the sort of old sore and half magic trick yep. and the agony of the scene is that you realize that the magician hasn't set up the 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 trick very well and ends up soaring this person in half um or you know like cutting into their stomach and it's like it's agonizing because he he does it the person screams but can't move and so he does it again and it just keeps going and going going well there's Uh, one of those moments in this too yeah so actually let's let's if you don't mind i i wrote down every single scene Oh uh, wow! So I have a I have a list of all the scenes. Well, here. I was gonna say we could just sort of pick the ones that sort of resonated with us. We don't yeah. have to like go down all of them, right? Yeah. 
But like, I would like to start on the scene of the dentist. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the scene of the dentist is very reminiscent of the magic uh, box scene. Yeah. Like, yeah. so there's a scene, uh, dear listener, that. It, you know, they all start quiet and slow. There's a dental assistant standing in a corner waiting. There's a patient facing away from the camera. It's snowing outside. It looks kind of nice. Uh, and the dentist comes in and he's like, oh, you got a toothache. Snow, no laughing matter. Okay, let's take a look. Uh, okay, we're going to need a local anesthetic. And the guy's like, oh, no, no, I'm afraid of needles. And the doctor's like, okay. And then starts drilling. And then, the, of course, the patient screams, and like it happens two or three times. And by the end, the doctor looks so exacerbated and just like, <sighs> and he just gets up and says goodbye, <laughs> and, and leaves. And then the the the, the dental uh, hygienist is like, "Oh, sorry, he's having a really bad day," and like motions that he's like drunk. Yeah, <laughs> like, and just in that scene, there's so much. I don't know. Maybe it is pandemic life. Maybe that's sort of where I'm coming from a lot of these scenes. But like that to me felt so much like the the current temperature of like any sort of service industry currently, <laughs> yeah. like from all sides. <laughs> like yeah. it's just meaningless like, repetition where well, nobody and, listens to you. And here's <laughs> like, OK, so like no one's right in this scene, right? Like the customer is wrong because he, you know, they should use an anesthe- uh, 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 anesthesia. To, I'm kind of on the dentist side on this one. <laughs> to not be, yeah, I am too. But at the like, but at the same time, the dentist is hyper stressed and drunk at work, which is not something drunk at work. We don't. Well, and then I we, mean, the next scene, scene is him in a bar just <laughs> slamming them down. Well, and I say slamming them down. The speed of this movie is like he takes two sips. But right, you right. Get, like you get what I'm saying. Um, but there's a, but there's another little detail that's happening in both those scenes that that is kind of adds to the sort of existential tableau of it all, which is that it is snowing outside, mm-hmm. and in the next scene at the bar, he is uh, by himself staring away while everybody else is marveling at the snow, yep. and then an, a, another gentleman at the bar says, "Isn't it amazing? What?" Everything is amazing. And they, he looks out to the sun. He's like, everything is fantastic. And and all the people look at this person like he's crazy, but he's like, everything is amazing. And, and all he's doing is marveling at the snow. And it's just this, like this sort of, in the there's this like layered existential approach to what's happening here, which is that this man is is defeated by the world, yet the person next to him is elated by the simplest thing, which is that it's snowing. And there's this sort of like beautiful contradiction in that. Um, what, what, what other scenes kind of jumped out at you? So the, so the scene that they actually in the longer uh, description that they call out of the teenage girls dancing outside the cafe. Uh, I, was, I was delighted by that. Yeah, like the, the base setup is there's three young men uh, and another couple at an outside eatery somewhere in yeah. a countryside and there's some people inside of a restaurant and, and these three girls walk down the street and there's music playing at the restaurant and they put their bike down and they just start dancing and having fun. <laughs> and people watch them and then like uh, okay. eventually like they clap, yeah. right? So it's a sweet scene and I like it, but all I could think about was... So, uh, you know, internet influencers, <laughs> like I, I took it as sort of like, or, or even beyond that, like I, I, I even said out loud to my cat, <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, this is Instagram. Right. Like, cause I, I, but, and again, but, I don't think that they were going for that, but yeah. what, what the read is for me was like, 
here's you're watching a group of people having a different experience than you are, an elevated experience, and a much more like fun experience than anyone else is, and they're all watching. Yeah. And then they and then when the girls are done, they stop and look over at everyone. <laughs> And then they start clapping or giving likes or however you want to sort of put like I had this like and it's not it could have been any character sort of doing that level of thing. I just took it like as like, oh, yeah, this is like Instagram is like watching everyone's highlight reel. Right. And this was these girls highlight reel when everyone else is living a bit more of a banal sort of moment. And so this was sort of people like I, I took it as I took it in a weird internet direction. Uh, not that, that it, but not that it, yeah, I think that's fine. Yeah. Like like there's no you can read that. That's the beauty of this film is that you yeah. can read it however you want to read it. Yeah. So my read on that scene was that I think I was just interested in the human dynamic of those three girls coming because the, the, there's a sort of a um, again a, this sort of long distance to the scene where the, the foreground is very close to us and then things go off in the distance and the girls basically come around this hill on their bikes and two uh, the, the the people immediately closest to them look like three young men who yeah. were sailors or something like that two or, of them are wearing sailor hats for no reason but but not- I, I I also like there's a connectivity that the movie invites you to make but never solidifies in yeah. itself you know which is like there are several scenes in this film of soldiers in horrible conditions. Mm-hmm. And then this was a scene of, uh, you know, what I thought were, you know, sailors or something like that. Sure. And as the girls start dancing, there's like an awkwardness to them where they're like, one of them is really just sort of kind of trying to egg the other two on. And eventually like they're they once once the kind of spirit hits them they they all kind of get swept up in it and then the song ends and like people come from inside again there's a sort of beautiful dip this is all happening in a single shot by the way yeah all this stuff is in a single shot yeah the like people from inside the bar or restaurant or whatever it was start coming out to look at them as well and you know there's this sort of like again the three girls and there's three men and at first, you think this is going to be about um, attraction or or mm. court, courtship or flirting or something like that, but it kind of takes on the sort of more joyous tone of like, here are three people just sort of loving, you know, loving and living in the moment, you know. And there was yeah. this sort of like, I, I there was like, I, 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 I wasn't talking to my cat, but like a visible smile came over my face, and I was just kind of like, I felt good. You know, like I just sure. felt kind of joyous in that moment, um, and happy in, in this in this moment. It was like there was a delight about uh, about this moment. There are several moments in this film that are that are um, painful and difficult. Um, yeah, and everyone with the priest. Yeah, everyone, and the priest was a really interesting one. So there's a story with the priest. It opens with uh, a scene of a, a street in uh, Gothenburg or somewhere in Sweden where a priest is dragging. Uh, across um through the streets and everyone so it's so it's obviously a crucifixion allegory but everyone is it is definitely today the the people who are whipping him are wearing jeans and they're young and they're aggressive uh and then he wakes up and we realize it was all a dream and it's a priest who has lost his faith somehow and there's um, different vignettes that sort of go through. Yeah. Like he goes to a shrink, you yeah. assume. A, a therapist, doctor, yeah. Therapist. And 
and uh, not too helpful, yeah. but it's sort of that thing that sort of can happen with therapists if they're not good, where yeah. it's like, oh, great. So I think you did the right thing. It came to the right thing. You know what? Let's meet next week. It's like, <laughs> yeah. no, I need help now. No, no, no. You, you know, Claudia will see you out. Right. You know, like, um, and then, uh, then it like goes through like, Priest is back at work. Yeah. Priest lost. Oh, uh, he, he, there's another thing. Like he lost his faith, and that's when he thinks he started having these reoccurring dreams. Then you see him at work, just chugging on the on the wine. Yeah, and then having to go like do his job. Yeah, and like go through the motions. And then he goes back at the end of the of the thing uh, to the shrink's office before the week is up, and is like, I don't know what to, what do I do now that I've lost my faith. Yeah, and and they're like, I gotta catch a bus. <laughs> like, and, and it's and it's. There's so many different things. Like I took that whole sequence or the different amount of sequences in that is sort of like, and this isn't necessarily like wrong, but it is very true. How we handle lost people. Right. Like how society handles lost people. And no one is right. Mm. Like the priest is going through something huge. Right. But there is a self-preservation that the shrink and the and the office or whatever has to do to like, well, we can't just like there, there's that moment of like, well, can you break the rules for this person because they are in need or not? Right. Uh, and the movie doesn't answer it. The movie doesn't, you know, whatever. But you kind of latch on to sort of different sides of it. But did you did you recognize or did you see another scene with a priest? Maybe. Uh, I don't remember off the top. There's a scene where a soldier is being taken uh, on the beach and he is being tied to a post. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he's about to be up. executed and he begs for his life. And uh, a priest who I made the connection that either that this was the priest at some point or oh, this was some sense of like what the priest's role is in society, which is that this priest, whether it's that person or not, stands idly by while a person begs for his life and does nothing. And then begs uh, and then begs God for like, why are you like I you know, like why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Yeah. And in a, in a sort of similar way that the priest on the in that scene seems to abandon the humanity of that soldier. And and what's sort of touching there is that soldier looks directly at us as they continue to beg for their lives. Um Yeah, there's a few there's a few moments where there's a lot of there's some camera spikes yeah. that work pretty well. I think the penalt the ultimate scene uh with the man with the car broken down on the side yeah. of the road yeah 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 uh, and he just turns back looking like looking at camera like you gonna fucking help me <laughs> like what do you no fuck and like it, they don't say these things but, but like you know you get the vibe did, what did you did you see the other element in that oh and, yes well that that's sort of i mean if we're if we're yeah. talking about that uh that that is what sold me on the gallery meaning right um because the, the movie is called About Endlessness. There's even a scene where they talk about the rules of thermodynamics is what we quoted. There's yeah. a, two teenagers learning thermodynamics and talking about how energy cannot be created or destroyed. It just changes and da-da-da-da. But in the first scene uh, of the film, we see a couple sitting on a bench. And I think the quote that I was going to use, because I just thought it was so silly. Like, oh, is it September already? Like, right. that's the first, uh, it's not the first line of the movie, but it's the first piece of dialogue we see a character say that's not narrated. Yeah. Um, and in the distance, you see some very slow flying uh, birds, right. uh, 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 an arrow of birds flying, migrating somewhere. And then at the end of this scene, you see a road where a man's car broke down. He's looking at the audience like, come on, let's fucking do this. And the birds are flying over him same and passing birds, by yeah. us. Same birds, same pattern, same yeah. everything. Yeah. And that to me 
signaled the sort of like it, it, it was the final piece of the of the gallery puzzle for me because this movie shows you big and small moments throughout hmm. but at the end of the day we're all underneath the birds like we're all we're all like we're all in the same space having the most incredibly personal meaningful or terrifying or or just boring as fuck experiences, but they're all happening at the same time, roughly in the same place. Mm -hmm. And that to me was like, just sort of like, I mean, that's not a concept that's new to me, but this movie kind of like, like, it's funny. I wasn't, I wouldn't say kicked me in the face because it wasn't like a revelation, but it was kind of like a, like a nudging being like, Hey, remember this? Like, Mm -hmm. you know that like, this is how the world works. Yeah. And, and me being like, no, you, you're right, movie. Like, it was just a very, it, it felt like a gentle but firm reminder that no matter who we are or what we're going through, this podcast right now, like, someone's dying right now and someone's being born mm. while we're doing this. Mm. The, like, you say it and it doesn't really matter in like, of course, but like, if you think about that, <laughs> It's kind of fucked up. Like, it's amazing and terrifying and cool and sad. But, like, that's what this movie, I think, was trying to remind its audience of. The gallery view of what was going on Mm. was like, yeah, all of these experiences are disparate, but they're all both human and happening at the same time in the same place. Most, I mean, there's some timeline jumps, but you get yeah, where no, I'm well, going. Because this it. film actually jumps in time in several times. Yeah, and uh, and at one point we do see Adolf Hitler um, at the yeah. end of the the war. And I think the narrative says, "I saw a man who tried to conquer the world and then realized he was fa- he was going to fail." He failed, yeah. Um, and Adolf Hitler uh, appears in the, out of the bunker or at the bottom of the bunker as he realizes that the the uh, the city above him is being destroyed and then we see that haunting image of the couple floating above uh war-torn cologne yep um and that 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 singular moment is beautiful it is like um you know it's this it's it's a couple that i guess we could interpret as having died in cologne uh and and, and i thought they were the narrators at first because they kept saying i see i I see i I see i saw and i was like oh these are the people that are above i'm like are we going to hear from the man i was like i don't know but then that doesn't really because then in that scene it yeah. says I saw a couple and I yeah. was like oh well could, it could be anyone but it was the that that single image of them floating above the clouds is quite haunting and then I think again I connected this uh, you know my I think the 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 way in which this film operates whether intending to or or not you know nudging you know nudging you in that direction is that you can gather a sense of meaning in all of this, or you can opt to just look at this as individual moments that have no meaning whatsoever. So in Pigeon, I agree. Yeah. In this, I don't think you can if you're paying attention. You, you believe that there is a, there's an overarching schematic to this. I think, I, and I think the birds are the linchpin. Right. Like, the birds, the name, because it's not a, it, the elements are all disparate, but the point is all of these disparate elements are kind of the same. <laughs> like there, like there's, there's, there's a connectivity in this one that I did not experience with <laughs> Pigeon. I don't know if it was even the point in Pigeon before. Right. Like th- this one, I was like, I, that's when I, when we started talking, I was like, oh yeah, I got you. I, I, 
I, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down and catching what you're throwing. Well, uh, I, the, the, to me, the thematic connection had to do with the couple who visit the tombstone and whose child oh. has died in the war. Or, yeah, you know, the child was a soldier who has died at some point. And I think the, the, the film is kind of interpreting the, the, the spaces left behind by the people who, who we love and, and the people that, that you know, and, and the way in which our lives kind of take meaning from the absence of those people. And I think mm-hmm. there's a sort of um, direct reference to the way in which war does that, you know, like the way in which, you know, like there's a sort of organizing principle of war that, that this movie kind of covers. Um, but also the way in which we just simply, you know, like we lose our faith in the absence of, of light. And, and I just, I, I kept thinking about the, the cup, like, I, I don't think this is correct, but I thought that the couple at the beginning that said it's September already were the same couple that were picking up their child, you know, seeing their child. And then, the the man in that situation was the dentist um and the priest I would, I don't... and the priest was the person who you know like allowed that child to to be killed i i i i don't think this is all correct and i think you could go and watch it and and see that those are different actors but i watched it in the sort of continuum there's a sort of like spectrum of continuums that that builds up as you watch this where it doesn't matter if they're different people that that soldier that got killed is if you know was somebody's child yeah that those parents are you know like somebody's they're parents. gonna have a day where they're sitting on a park bench yeah like you know, the 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 interesting thing is i mean i think that that's not a far-fetched read either even from a, the f- perspective of what a, the filmmaker was going for because he tends to cast people that look roughly similar to one another in similar roles well, the, he does, but he also does an interesting thing, which is that the people are art directed like the rest of the scene, which is yes. that they wear clothes that blend, that are color matched to the Too environment. Too much cake makeup. And yeah. then they wear this like white heavy makeup that sometimes make people look either uh, like clowns or like a form of death in some way. Um, so death it, clowns. Yeah, death clowns. Yeah, it is an insane clown posse um, yeah, it's, scored This, this whole thing is about juggalos. We haven't even gotten to the juggalo scene <laughs> <Yeah>. yet. Yeah. <laughs> Um, where they're just chugging Fago <laughs> like it's going out of style, but again, very slow. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and, and yeah, and there is like, you know, like I think, so now to bring it to the personal, um, this happened last night and um, I'll talk about it now, but like, but but I saw the film on Monday night and I, I was taken by it and I, I was struck by it and I thought it was very beautiful. And then last night, I found out that a dear friend of mine uh, in New Zealand died, uh, oh, passed away. Yeah, and and he was a he was an older gentleman, but he was honestly he was one of my favorite people on the whole planet in, in the whole planet. He was just this this person that I worked with who um, was one of the funniest people. I l- just loved to be around him and. He spoke at like I invited him to speak at my wedding, and, and this guy is like twenty or thirty years older than me, sure. and and he he is without a you know you know how we, I think we've talked about this on the podcast like people who can get away with making off color jokes. Sure. Uh, um, Andy was one of these people that uh, came across as mild mannered and sort of like uh, you know shy, 
but were like had better comedic timing than almost any human being I've ever met in my life. Mm. And he, you know, I, I remember he came to uh, my wedding and, he, and I asked him if he'd be, if he wanted to do, to, to do a speech and in front of 500 people whom he'd never met, he gave probably one of the funniest, you know, live speaking engagements I've ever heard. And he did it off the cuff. And, you know, he, he managed to insult me, uh, people around me, and we sure. loved it because he was so good at it and he was so gentle natured. And, and I, I love that, that man so much. He was, he was just such a wonderful person. And he passed away. I, I found out about it last night. And, and so I stopped working and I stopped, uh, I stopped everything I was doing because I was, I was so upset. But all I thought about was this movie. And all I thought about was the sort of the way in which either he saw the world in terms of its, not its meaningless, but he had that sort of, he had that quality about him where you got the sense that he understood the world better than most people did. Right. And, and I, I, I thought about not only like he could be a character in this movie, (laughs) like, you know, going through the sort of the meaninglessness of it all, but also having a sense of humor about it. And, and it was just funny because he and I have like, you know, like I, I remembered another movie he and I went to see and it was like, just such a great, he was like the perfect person to see this movie with uh, this um, uh, Chris Morris film, Four Lions. Um, but w- when I'd heard that he passed away, I, I only thought about this movie and it was like, this movie just stuck with me. Um, in terms of like, no matter how much I tried to think about him and his life, I just thought mm. about the way this movie kind of put, well, offered me a perspective on how to make sense of the meaningless yeah. and, and, and how, um, you know, like I, I don't, I, I, I wish he hadn't have passed away. I, I spoke to him only a month ago. Um, but there was a sort of there's a sort of comfort in knowing that none of this means anything and sometimes this is how life works yeah and you know like it, i don't know it it just there was something about this well, movie that sat with me as i thought about him here's a piece of art that is is literally kind of showing you that what you are experiencing and what he experienced and what we all experience is kind of all can like, we're all going to do it and we're all always doing it. Like there's, there's a comfort in being shown what you are feeling is normal. Mm. Uh, and I do think this movie does that particularly uh, in your case, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like, your and I, I know I'm not psychoanalyzing, but like your your subconscious, just your thoughts, you know, whatever we want to sort of label it as, was going back toward this because you were dealing with an emotionally devastating moment, and here is here's literally kind of like a film that works as a blueprint on on how to interpret devastating moments. Yeah, <laughs> like the the. I think I found comfort in the way that this movie suggests that life, as you say, will just trudge on. Yeah. And and it is miserable and it sucks, but you know, that's 
that's that's life. And, and I I found another quote. So again, from the same article. Yeah. Um. That uh. That from Roy Anderson. The the article is really good actually in terms of like framing it. There's another sense here that like I lo- I love the fact that that Anderson uses the profits from commercial filmmaking to yeah. make these things that are sort of existentially. Uh, you know, and and there's a sort of like, I think there's a sort of wonderful acknowledgement in his on his part that that these are slow movies. These aren't going to work the way, yeah. You know, like everything else works, and and that's what he wants to make. I mean, here he's your Robin Hood is basically what yeah. I'm hearing. Yeah, like he's ro- he's robbing from the from the creatively <laughs> bankrupt and giving back to. Uh, to, to people himself that might and to, enjoy and to a us. higher version yeah. of, of that, yeah. And and his uh um uh, well, well I read this quote first because I I love this, um his film style and they were talking about Anderson's film style. His film style is a praxis that communicates the across the incommensurability between human humanist philosophy and the neoliberal form of reason that has configured all aspects of existence in economic terms. His mediation on our existential mode of being corresponds with the unraveling of the Swedish social democratic welfare state, the fiction, the financialization of the global economy, and the rise of racial nationalist third parties in Europe. It's his work, uh, and this is me, I, you know, like, I do think his work purposely, you know, he, he's not a, he's, his, his films are not commercial because he speaks to the fact that the world is all commercial and everything has been reduced to an economic sense of, you know, like how much does this person's value, how much money is being spent here. And his films work in the exact opposite way. You know, like there, there's no, it's hard to watch this and think about it even in terms of like box office or money or any of that sort of thing. I, I would even posit that it's not the opposite. Mm. It's just outside. Mm. Like there's the bubble of what everyone else is doing in film. Yeah. And then there's little pockets of thing. And this is its own little pocket. Like it's yeah. not, it's not trying to do anything anyone else is doing. Yeah. And it's like, uh, yeah. And, and it's, it's like, it's how wonderful is it to like, experience that in terms of like seeing someone make something not for the sake of not like you know like i think the worst form of commercial filmmaking is deeply cynical and this is not cynical um you know anderson quotes here i i hope that through my films i am able to open up our sensibility towards each other and show that we are existentially very vulnerable beings plus we have so little time in our lives there is no happy ending to any of this he laughs but that's exactly why we should be more responsible with the time we have left. Well, and, and, and the truth is, I'll, I'm going to sort of e- expand on that, too. There's also no sad ending. Mm, it's just an like, ending. Yeah. Like, and, and well, there's also no ending. There's, there's a <laughs> change. In endlessness. Ex- yeah. You know, this movie's about it. Uh, wow. Well, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's... I. I, I Again, I, I had sort of a profound experience this week with this film, but I just, I, I do, like, it was the film I needed this week. It was the yeah. film, it, it's only 76 minutes. If that, if the if the, the sort of commercialization of our time is of value to you, then this thing is only an hour and some change. Yeah. Um, highly worth it. Highly yeah. worth it. And, and I'm glad, yeah. I, I'm just going to say, I was glad it, 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 um, you found some solace in it. You found some some sort of like some help in sort of feeling when you were going through a difficult time. I I I imagine that 
that would be the same for a lot of people, myself included, when something like that happened. Like looking back at something like this, I think could be incredibly sort of uh, meaningful, enlightening, helpful, etc. Like it, it makes total sense. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But yeah. Well, everybody, this has been the only podcast about endless. Oh, you know what it is? This has been the only podcast about about endlessness. But you should have just this, run it all together. This is the only podcast about endlessness. <laughs> but it's not. But it like, could be. Why not? But it could be. There's <laughs> there's an interesting thing there because uh, we I don't think we've ever done a film where the first word <laughs> in the film's title is about. So this film broke our format. Oh, imagine if we did a movie thing. called that was called the only. Such and such about such and such. Yeah, like I don't, that. I, don't, yeah. I would break. <laughs> you would break uh, entirely. Shahir, when you are not, let's see, what scene do I want to pull from? <laughs> when you are not lamenting the fact that you ran into a childhood friend coming home from work and you recognized them, but then they didn't talk back to you when you said hello, and you realized that maybe it was because you were cruel to them in your past, where can folks find you? You can find me lamenting the fact that I couldn't get my PhD at my website, www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. Matt, when you are looking to the sky, to the heavens upon your uh, broken down vehicle and seeing a flock of birds uh, hurtling towards endlessness, where can people find you? You can find me looking incredibly disappointed and perturbed at all of the fourth wall breaking beings behind me at my website, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor M-S-K on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works we are doing over at Extra Credits. We just launched today, which means you're going to be able to see uh, our first part of a three-parter on Beowulf. Oh. Beowulf. Uh, going going back, it's be- we actually it, the, named the it sound you, is penetrating be, my ears. You'd be proud. Yeah. Uh, it's Beowulf v Grendel, Dawn of Herat. <laughs> <laughs> I, have you seen the uh, the Robert Zemeckis uh, no, Beowulf? No, I haven't. Yeah, it, this is the, I, I can't remember the actor's name, but the the reading of I am. Beowulf is so good. Um, and then uh, we're doing uh, a two-part series in history uh, about climbing the Matterhorn. Okay. Uh, we're doing uh, the first man and then the first woman to climb the Matterhorn. And it's a super interesting, sad, wonderful, triumphant, mountaineering <laughs> tale. So, yeah, check those out. Uh, next week, we'll be back with you. Um, what comes out next week? I, I don't know, and I haven't looked. And uh, email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. I know there's, uh, I just want to sort of, there's one person who listens to this podcast who I know is also uh, feeling the same way about the person we lost this week. So uh, to that person, I know who you are. And uh, this one's for Andy Gibb, who is just the most wonderful human being, and I will miss very much. Yeah. All right, everybody. We'll, uh, we'll talk at you next week. And until then, hope you're... Uh, I hope you are cool with the fact that everything is about endlessness. This podcast, in in, in many ways, this podcast was just keeps going. This is the same it, conversation that we were having five years ago when we talked about a pigeon sat on the branch roof. That's true. Like, I mean, we could just keep going. Yeah. And talking through this. <laughs> we will get slower and slower and we'll repeat conversations and it'll be the same episode. The last hundred episodes will be the same episode. Over. The the episodes <laughs> will be the episodes. But also I they'll probably have more taxidermied animals on them, I think. <laughs>
I don't know. This is just a, a void that we've swallowed into. Tommy bit my finger. <laughs> ah, Tommy. What an asshole. Oh, my God.